take our Bibles this morning and we'll turn to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the chapter 4. Bible's open before us, and let's just ask the Lord for his help and blessing this morning as we come together to his word. Father, we thank thee that thou hast given us even that which is contained herein to teach us and to instruct us, to edify us, and to truly reveal more and more about thee. We're thankful, Father, that every time we come afresh to thy word with an open heart, that thou art willing even to communicate through that word afresh to our hearts and indeed into our lives. And so we pray that this word that is before us, that which has been inspired, that which is inerrant, that which has been preserved down through the generations, might even by the power of thy Holy Spirit truly be illuminated to us this day. And we ask for that help from above, help and clarity in what we seek to say. Help, O Lord, in understanding of all that is said. Help, O Lord, even in a willing heart and a ready mind to put into practice even that which we glean from thy word afresh this morning are. And so, Father, to that end, we pray that thou wouldst be pleased to have thine own way. And in each of our hearts and in each of our lives, have, O Lord, the complete control and sway over all that we say, all that we do. We'll praise thee and we'll thank thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we began our series last Sunday on the theme of heaven, we noted, of course, that heaven was a dwelling place or the abode of God. It was here we noted that he received the praise and the worship of the saints. And so coming back to this theme of heaven this week, we come to consider the song of heaven. For the hallmark of the worship received by God in heaven is the very praise of the redeemed. And so in that prepared place, you and I, as we gather together around the throne, as we spend all of eternity toing and froing through the great new city of Jerusalem and indeed to the realms beyond, we will offer unending love, offer adoring praise throughout all eternity. This was something that Christ himself testified to when he spoke even to the woman who spoke to him outside of Samaria in John chapter 4. For in verse 19 he says, uh, or, or, The woman saith to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is simply saying to this woman of Samaria, he's identifying here an eternal grouping of worshipers. 
those whom the Father is seeking as he speaks to this woman, those whom the Father is still seeking today as we come together in this place. The Father is seeking such to worship him, those who will and do worship him in spirit and in truth, those who offer their sacrifice of praise unto the Father. Coming to consider the song of heaven and what true worship means, as we reflect upon all that's revealed for us in the book of Revelation, it will, I trust, bring a twofold benefit to our lives. It will excite our hearts as we consider all that lies before us in our heavenly abode. But also, I trust it will energize us to have a pure-hearted desire to have a little taste of heaven here on earth. For as we come to consider the song of heaven, the pattern laid down in God's Word here in the book of Revelation, when it comes to praise, when it comes to worship, as we identify this pattern, we will see that the praise and the worship of heaven is something that is not hard to figure out. It's not hard to wrap our heads around. Indeed, it's not hard to apply even here on earth. But if we do apply it here on earth, then I suggest to you that we will enjoy a more wholesome time of worship as we journey here below. Now, as we come to consider this this morning, we're setting this all in its context before we turn to the Word of God and read from it together, because it's very important to understand what we're trying to get at this morning. There will not be a like-for-like -like reality when it comes to what will be experienced in heaven and what we desire to experience here on earth. We're not speaking of an experience brought about because of an overemphasis on emotion. Because you and I must always remember that worship here on earth will always be tainted by sin. That sin manifests itself in several ways. As we come together to praise and to worship the Lord, it can all be done with the aim of promoting self. That's a wrong motive. It can all be wholly carnal due to unconfessed sin or unnecessary and unwanted distractions. That's a wrong heart. It can be constrained by time or by schedule. That's a wrong emphasis. But as we behold that which is in heaven, as we look forward to true worship there, as we join with the redeemed above, our praise then will come from pure hearts with pure motives with the right emphasis and no distractions. And so a light for light comparison can never truly be made. But we can know what it is to have more wholesome worship as we come together and as we live our lives here on earth. And looking into that recorded as being the worship and praise found in heaven above will truly allow us then to understand how that can be so in our earthly experience. We live in a generation where worship has been mispackaged. We've wrapped it up to include things that God's Word never intended it to include. 
On earth, worship is so often a desire to see something produced in us or among us. Even well-meaning believers talk of worship calming them down, getting them ready to hear preaching, changing or transforming their mood. But friend, this morning, that is simply a testimony to the power of music. That is not true worship. All that can occur, regardless of whether or not the music is actually Christian. That's why lullabies are played to babies. It's why shopping malls play music in the background. It's why restaurants and cafes have music playing so that the right ambience, the right atmosphere is generated. Music is powerful. Music is emotive. Music has an awesome grip over the human mind and the human psyche. But worship is entirely different. Worship has no human emphasis. Indeed, the aim of true worship from a human standpoint is ever only to humble us. Not to change our mood, not to open our heart, not to soothe our spirit. All of those things must already be correct before we can ever know what it is to truly worship. Free worship is always designed to humble the creature and to magnify the Creator. The worship, sadly, also has been mispackaged in this generation. Why? Because we've reduced worship to simply that which we sing or that which is part of our service. But worship should be a way of life. We worship with our thoughts. We worship with our actions. We worship with our words. We're coming to consider that which is patterned for us in Scripture. We come to consider true worship. True worship which will only result and can only result in humility in the heart of the redeemed. Now, as we come to consider this and look into the Word of God, just for a few moments in regards to it, nothing is to be taken as a condemnation of music. Music has a very vital and important role in life. Music has a very vital and important role, indeed, in church life. But it is a reminder, a timely reminder, not to conflate that which may be enjoyable to be a both a participant in and a partaker of with that which is spoken of in the Word of God as being the desire of God and the pattern of heaven. Don't confuse that which has the power to lift up and carry along with that which has the sole purpose of bringing low and keeping low. That's the difference between music and worship. And so this morning we begin by looking at Revelation chapter 4, and I encourage you to follow along in the scriptures that we're going to turn to, for we're going to take a little journey through the book of Revelation, and the value of this sermon will only be seen as you enter into the Word of God, not on what I say. 
Read with me in Revelation in chapter 4, in the verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now there we see immediately that John is identifying that this is no longer an earthly experience that he's testifying of. This is rather his viewpoint, as it were, of what is occurring, what is going on in heaven. And any knowledge of the book of Revelation comes to us as we enter chapter 4, continuing then through right to the end of the book, it's all heavenward. It's all, as it were, a glimpse into what is occurring in heaven. Yes, events on earth are remarked upon. Yes, events on earth are depicted. But this is very much that, uh, those events from a heavenly vantage point. Come to verse 8 of the chapter. Now, remember, he's viewing, he's being a first-hand witness of a heavenly scene. It tells us there, four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And so the first scene that we get from heaven, that understanding that is given to us here in the chapter 4 as we see the sight painted there in the words that he's using. Yes, we can picture in our minds all of the holiness and the majesty and the glory that John is beholding. But don't mistake that which he is saying, uh, or don't miss that which he is saying, not only in regards to what he is seeing, but also what he is hearing. He's hearing those who cry, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He's hearing those who say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. All the energy that's found here in the words that he pens is energy put into worshiping him who sits upon the throne. It's instinctive worship. It's worship that exalts God. It's worship that sees those who have been created by God falling down before him, proclaiming him to be God of all and God over all. Come to chapter 5. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written with in and on the back side. The seal was seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, a lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, 
having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the throne, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation." has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts and the elders, and the numbers of them were ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain, to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Here we see in this chapter the Lamb is introduced. So yes, the angel remarks that the lion of the tribe of Judah will be the one who has prevailed, the one who has prevailed. But nevertheless, as he turns and beholds, he views a lamb, the lamb that was slain, the foundation of the world. Here the victor is proclaimed, and as that victory is proclaimed, as the lamb is introduced, the worship is ascribed unto him who was slain on Calvary. Here we're reminded the very vocal point of all praise, all worship, is a dear son of God. Come to Revelation in the chapter 7, just two chapters over. Read me, with me in the verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, and all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. All the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne in their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Here we see the scene of a company of those who have been called, from every tribe, from every nation. Those who have been washed are there in white robes, the Bible tells us. They're all praising God for what? Salvation. Life had been hard. We believe these to be those who have been martyred, those who have paid the ultimate price for their salvation, but yet they're there praising God for His salvation, not lamenting upon the hardness of the life that they've lived, nor indeed the experience of death that they've suffered, but rather they're praising God for who He is and for the salvation that He has wrought through the work of His Son. Praising God for the one who purchased their salvation and lamb. Notice their worship promotes worship. For as this great company is found crying salvation to our God, then it tells us in verse 11, all the angels stood round about all the elders and the four beasts. They all fell before the throne in their faces. See humility? And worship God saying amen, blessing, glory, and honor, and wisdom. Worship, true worship, promoted true worship. I come across a few more chapters to Revelation in chapter 11. 
Revelation in chapter 11. I don't know if it's possible, but if the guys in the back could get the PowerPoint on the go, that would be appreciated, please. Revelation in the chapter 11 and the verse 14, it tells us, The second woe is past, and behold, a third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God in their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants and the prophets and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Here a victory is announced. And from that announcement comes a crescendo of praise. It's instantaneous. They praise God for who he is. They praise God for who he has once more proved himself to be. Now remember, in all of these references, we're hearing the song of heaven. We're hearing that which is the sounds of heaven, as it were. And continually, that sound that is recorded for us is praise and worship unto God and unto the Lamb. Don't miss it. Come to chapter 14. Verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood in the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters, and a voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Continue over into chapter 15 and reading of verse 1. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten a victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thy King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord God, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, and all nations shall come and worship before thee, and for thy judgments are made manifest. In these two chapters, we have the song of those who have known days of tribulation, those who have overcome, those who have prevailed, those who have been protected even by the Lord God himself. And notice there, the Bible tells us that they're standing on a sea of glass. They're there in the heavenly court, as it were, in the splendors above. But notice the song they're singing. They're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And that's an important thing to remember. Why? Because the song of Moses was a song of the people who had been redeemed, the people who had been brought out. God had prevailed. 
God had wrought a victory in Egypt over their enemies. God had brought them out with a high hand and with a mighty blessing. But they're also singing the song of the Lamb. Why? Because they're not only people who have been brought out, they're people who have been brought in. They've known what it is to be welcomed into the splendors above. Why? Because the Lamb prevailed, the one who said, I am the door, by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, no man cometh into heaven, no man stands upon the sea of glass, except he come by me. And so the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is a song that John is hearing, he's experiencing as he finds his place there in heaven above. It's a song of the redeemed, those who have been brought out, those who have been brought in. Come lastly to Revelation chapter 19. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation, glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, ye that fear him, both small and great. And they heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Salvation, splendor, strength, sovereignty, supremacy. This is a theme of that which those who are gathered here sing together. Now, all these scriptures has been worth turning to. Why? Because in order to establish the pattern of heaven, in order to seek to then implement that in our lives and our worship together here on earth, we must see consistently that which John records, that which God by His Spirit reveals. And noting then all of these references together and gaining an understanding of that which is yet to be experienced by us in heaven, but nevertheless, if we appropriately and accurately apply all that we read here on earth, we can have a little foretaste of all that is to come. We come to an understanding of these three things. Praise, perfect praise, can only come from those who are or have been made perfect. From our perspective, that can only ever be those who have been redeemed. And so whenever we come together in this service, a service in which the emphasis is upon the preaching and the teaching of God's Word to the saints, this is the meeting in which worship is to be made. Worship cannot be made whenever the emphasis of our gathering is to seek the lost. Oh yes, we sing and we praise the Lord in such times and by default we worship God because we give Him the praise of our hearts, the praise of our lips. We yield to Him our time and our talents in order to reach the lost, but the emphasis on worship should not be there. 
the songs that we sing in a gospel service and services where we're seeking to gather in those who are lost should be songs of testimony, testifying to the character of God, testifying to the, re- the relationship that can be known between God and us, testifying even to life's experiences, testifying to the finished work of his own dear son. But worship can only truly be made whenever the hearts of the redeemed are joined together. It's very important to remember that. It's very important not to place the emphasis in the wrong place whenever we come together. We must always begin where God begins. And we must always seek to live out and implement that which God's Word exhorts us to do. We can't reprogram it to suit ourselves. So perfect praise can only come from those who are or have been made perfect. The second thing we notice is that true worship must be saturated in truth. True worship must be saturated in truth. All the songs that we have noted here in these references in the book of Revelation, what did they communicate to us? They communicated to us truth that is consistently revealed down through Scripture. They spoke of his splendor, the splendor of God, the glory of God, the perfection of God. They spoke truth about his son, the lamb, the one who was slain, the one who was worthy, the one who was willing. And yes, much of the truth that we read off here in the Word of God is yet to be expounded in an even greater way whenever we reach heaven. Our knowledge of that truth is imperfect, as it were, here on earth. Up there, we'll have fuller knowledge of who He is and all He has done. We will understand perfectly His attributes, His wondrous works, His continual presence. But here on earth, we surely have been given enough. Enough in this book of Revelation, and I'm not talking about this specific book, I'm talking about the entire canon of Scripture. This book of the revealed mind and will of God. We've been given enough in that book to lift a song of praise unto him like none other, to ascribe greatness unto our God. And so true worship must be saturated in truth. And lastly, God must be all in all. When it comes to our worship, he must be the only theme of our praise. Augustine put it this way, he says, great must be our joy, Evil must have no entrance. No good must be, with, with, must be withheld. God must be our all in all. We praise God because He's worthy to be praised. We don't praise God because it does us good. We don't praise God, indeed, because it does Him good to hear us praise Him. We praise God because He is the only one worthy of our praise. And the value of true praise is seen in that very fact. For as we fix our eyes upon God and as we fasten our gaze upon the Lamb, then our attention is lifted entirely off ourselves. Our realization of our place in the divine order is made abundantly clear. We recognize our unworthiness. Striking our breasts, we cry as Isaiah did, Woe is me. I am undone. And surely then, as we look forward to heaven, 
and a joining in a perfect song of praise, we will marvel that we have ever found our place in the choir of the redeemed. John Newton put it this way. He says, when I get to heaven, I shall see three earthly wonders. The first wonder I will see is how many people there I did not expect to see there. The second wonder I will see there is how many people I will not see who I did expect to be there. Can I tell you that's a very sobering thought? People that we may have sat in church with all of our lives, but yet living a lie. The third and the greatest wonder of all is that I even made it there. Today we're reminded of that which is to be our employee and highest privilege in heaven. Praising God. And our words, our thoughts, our songs collectively as a great company will praise Him. A great choir of the redeemed but surely as individuals in a more intimate and personal manner, we too will praise Him, having been made perfect, with a perfect heart, with perfect motives, unhindered and unhampered by distractions, time, and pressure. Expectation. We'll all lift our voices together and say, all honor, glory be unto God and unto the Lamb. It's in that moment, is it not, that the cry of the Moravian missionaries of old will be fulfilled. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. But can I suggest that as true as that will be, it can also be found here on earth. For if we apply heaven's pattern to our worship, to our praise, then the Lamb will see the reward of his soul in our lives, in our gatherings. And we will know the blessing of God thereby. So we come to end our meeting. We're going to sing, When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glorious sun, when we stand with Christ on high, looking all nice history, then not until then shall I fully know just how much I owe. Let's stand together, please, as we sing.
Father, we delight even to sing Thy praise, for Thou art the one worthy of our praise. We delight, O Lord, to lift high the name of our Savior, for when He is lifted up, Thou hast promised that Thou wilt draw all men unto Thyself. We're thankful, Father, for the change that has been effected in our hearts. But, O Lord, give us even a little foretaste of heaven here on earth as we apply even the principles of Thy Word and truly know what it is to worship Thee in spirit and in truth. Help our praise to be saturated with the truth that is found in thy word. And help our hearts truly be in tune with thee and indeed with the choirs of the assembled throng above. Help us, O Lord, to lift high the name of our God and to praise the worthy name of our Savior. Depart us now with thy blessing. And, o Lord, even bless those ones who leave us and go to their own home, take them there in safety. But now for our time around the table, we pray that thou would bless us in our reflections upon our Savior once more. And help us, O Lord, to truly enter in to the depths of the love that thou hast shown there. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.